afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Kreisel and Diane Duvernay are your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, repeated at 11 and Saturdays at 4. Excuse me, Saturdays at 6. We are brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets and Montecito's Upper Village. At Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Hi, Neil. How are you today? I'm doing good. My uh, kids just arrived. Uh, it's, uh, it's Christmas and they've all come. So, so I am I'm now inundated. Is that the right word? Inundated. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I, what you should be saying though, joyfully feeling full. Yes, I am. That's a good way to put it. Just in case they're listening, that's an excellent way to put it. <laughs> well, good. So do we have any articles today, Neil? I do. Um, in fact, what I did today is I have three articles stapled together because they're about the same subject, but they're slightly different in conclusions. And they're all written by very, I think, uh, important uh, commentators. The first one is by David Linhart from the New York Times, who's very, very smart. And his article is entitled, Why Do Americans Say the Economy is in Rough Shape? Because it is. So his conclusion in this article, he says that the economy um, is, is more than a household balance sheet. The balance sheets are very strong but you have to take a look at the combined experience of working, shopping, and interacting in society. And, and Americans um, are uh, very uh, much uh, excited and uh, agree that their finances are much better, but only 35% dis- describe their national, the national economy as good. And, and that's an interesting paradox. They, they, they think that they're doing fine, but they don't really think that the economy is doing fine. And um, his conclusion is that that sort of pessimism is going to have an impact, particularly given the possible resurgence of COVID. Now, at the same day, Paul Krugman wrote an editorial saying, how is the economy doing? And he said that the Bureau of Labor Statistics carries out two separate surveys, one of, of, of employers and the other of households. And they normally expect the two to paint a similar picture, not this time. The employer survey uh, uh, was, uh, you know, modest, not particularly uh, uh, optimistic, but the employee survey was very strong. The survey says that uh, uh, when looked, when, however, when asked about inflation, uh, uh, they talk to consumers and the question they get are not the ones you thought you were asking. In the long standing observation, uh, the running joke is expected inflation number from the Michigan survey is in practice basically the price of gasoline. So people tend to uh, look at the price of gasoline, which is going up, and they find that uh, in, these, in these surveys, they, 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 they are pessimistic, not because of their own situation, but because the price of gas is going up, and then their expectation of inflation uh, undermines their confidence. Uh, but uh, Krugman thinks that inflation is going to slow down, and uh, he thinks that this is just going to be a blip. Um, 
And uh, the last article by Mark Zandi, who's the chief economist of Moody's, said, relax, Omicron, Omicron is not going to take the economy down. And um, he basically believes that, you know, the price of gasoline will come down, uh, that uh, the uh, worst of inflation is behind us. So he's taken the same information and um, is basically taking a more sanguine view. And, and finally, uh, there's uh, comments from the Fed. And one of the things that the Fed needs to really be aware of is, and this has been true for years and years, is not so much inflation, but inflationary expectations. So one of the things that could put uh, uh, a uh, big question mark, given some of these more sanguine uh, predictions, is the uh, idea that people are going to think inflation is going to continue. And therefore, you know, they'll demand higher wages and that will cause prices to go up and you get this cycle of, uh, you know, increased spending to beat up the, to beat the higher prices and you get inflation, not because of anything that is systemic with the Fed, but just because of expectations. Well, it's like a self, self-fulfilling prophecy. So I think what's interesting is that people do equate inflation with the price of gasoline. And as as you start to see that, that is their, you know, their bellwether as to how the economy is doing if the gasoline prices rise. However, you know, when when you look at what's going on in the world, you have several countries, I believe it's Australia and the Netherlands are back in lockdown situations. Everything's closing at five due to the Omicron virus or, or, uh, you know, they're, they're back down to shutdown measures. And so when you look at that, that does make people worry that we could potentially get back in that place. And inflation does play a role in that. It, I do believe though, it's still transitory. It's still because you can't get, you can't get goods because they're all floating offshore in Long Beach. And you know when you look at this, you really see it as it's going to be a political disaster for those people in office, if it doesn't get under control by the time elections come around again. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, the political aspect, the the irony of all this is that people are complaining that Biden's not doing anything. But if he were to do what the more bearish uh, observers are suggesting, which is to tighten money supply right now, it would cause, uh, if not a recession, but would cause a slowdown in the economy. And then they would criticize Biden for slowing the economy down. So it's really- You know what else is interesting is when you look at the bond traders and you look at the 30 year bond rates, they're not going up. If they were going up, that would that would signal that, yes, in fact, there is inflation. They're actually having the opposite effect. That's the reason why I just don't see it. I don't see inflation a long term problem. However, what I also think is that, you know, everyone talks about inflation as if it's a bad thing. There needs to be some inflation in the economy because the opposite of inflation is deflation or stagflation, which is much worse for an economy than to have a level, steady amount of inflation. Yeah. And of course, in Santa Barbara, the inflation and housing prices is something no one is arguing about. Uh, The uh, next article is about ETF inflows. And I'm not talking about the normal ETF. There's been a huge increase in managed uh, ETFs. And it's so interesting. ETFs were uh, 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 created originally to permit passive investors to uh, buy the stock market without having to buy all the stocks in the stock market and to get around uh, managed accounts. Well, uh, the 
managed ETF uh, funds now are growing rapidly because people want to finesse and really choose choose their uh, ETF based on what they believe the market's going to do, which you know is a different game, a different game altogether. Absolutely. Uh, now, now, if the cost structure is the same, meaning much lower than managed mutual funds, it still might be worth it to some investors to use that ETF in their toolbox versus the mutual fund, if indeed it is managed and has a lesser internal expense ratio. Um, and the last article we have is about uh, tax reporting for uh, cyber uh, cryptocurrency. And you know, up, up until recent, up until now, it's sort of been like the Wild West. It was very difficult to uh, really, if you're the IRS, to know where capital gains were uh, uh, gained uh, because it, they were they were uh, relying on the investor to be honest. And now uh, the uh, rules are changing where. Anyone that's involved in the in the in any of these funds, uh, any of these facilities to trade crypto, are going to basically have to provide a 1099 form uh, to investors. And um, what that does is not, not only cause investors to have to pay taxes, but it, it, it you lose the uh, anonymity, which is one of the benefits of uh, cyber investing. So you know this is something that. You know, a lot of these young people who are investing in, 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 in cyber may or may not have been paying their taxes, but now they have no choice. Well, and, and when you look at it, you know, many people, you know, Jamie Dimon just said, you know, here's the thing with, with crypto is it's not it's not regulated. But as it becomes more and more regulated, it's exactly that it loses it's loses its allure, its dark side. You're going to have to start reporting and paying taxes on it. And that I think is going to come as a as a big surprise to some. Yes, I agree. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. Hey, folks, just want to let you know that you can now enjoy the station that talks about Santa Barbara at the new KZSB FM 96.9. That's right, KZSB AM 1290 is now simulcast at 96.9 FM on the radio and streaming 24-7 on your digital devices at newspress.com, at AM 1290, KZSB.com, in the TuneIn radio app, and on the Alexa or Google Nest smart speakers. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite 
invite you to visit the kellymarshteam.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB07220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB07528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. Here in California, thousands of kids are growing up without moms or dads to love or guide them. I'm Sean Anders, director of the Daddy's Home Movies. My wife and I adopted three amazing siblings, and they are the best thing that ever happened to us. We're a family now and so grateful for the day we called Kinship Center, who guided us to the kids we love so much. Contact Kinship Center to learn about the rewards of becoming an adoptive parent. Call 800-454-6744. That's 800-454-6744. Brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending. Since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So if you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of having with us today, Ben Golden, he is a CPA and CEO and founder of IRS Trouble Solvers. Hi, Ben. Thanks so much for being here with us. Well, I appreciate you having me today. Thank you. So, wow, you, you know, CPA and uh, IRS Trouble Solvers, that sounds exciting. What got you interested in wanting to become a CPA and an enrolled agent? So, you know, um, I've always enjoyed uh, doing taxes. Uh, and I had a tax company before I started the resolution firm. However, you know, the IRS, when I had my tax practice, my, the IRS tried to bully me into paying a client's IRS debt for over $171,000. And they didn't do the due diligence that they should have on me to see if I was a responsible party. So I knew that if the IRS was going to try to bully me, what would they do to somebody that didn't know how to react to the IRS or fight the IRS as a layperson? You know, I knew that the IRS would attempt to, to bully them as well. So, uh, you know, I decided that I wanted to become an advocate. And that's really the, the short story of why. So, you know, when you say advocate, it's funny because whenever people hear about the IRS knocking or calling or sending a letter, you know, it, it sounds scary. So when you say advocate, what does that mean? And how would somebody go about hiring you or your firm to help them in a, a situation with the IRS? So a lot of the times the IRS will say that someone owes some money. And the first thing we have to figure out is number one, do they owe it? Or, or number two, can they pay it? Because those are really the two main questions that we have to answer. Um, and if the IRS says that you do owe it, then we either have to figure out if you can pay it or if you do owe it uh, and go forward from there. So is it a collection issue or is it an issue where we have to fight the IRS and say, let's say you were audited or something like that um, in order to you know, see, let the IRS see our side of the equation or the coin, you know, the equation, because sometimes the IRS they think you're guilty until proven innocent. 
And it's our job to come in and say, no, 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 you, you can't treat us like that. Uh, you know, we are innocent and this is why. Now, how much do you think your personal relationships play a role in your ability to be a good advocate for, um, a, for clients in general? Like, do you have personal relationships with the IRS agents or are you calling that same 1-800 number that the rest of us have to call if something happens? So more times than not, there's a revenue officer or revenue agent that's assigned to the case. And, you know, we're a nationwide company. So we get agents all the way from, you know, Miami to Alaska, from Hawaii to New York. So hardly ever do we talk to the same agents uh, more than one time, um, unless we have a concentrated effort, uh, you know, to try to get a vicinity and help a vicinity, which we do have a couple of those, you know, where we're located. So, you know, it's more about knowing the rules than it is about knowing the people that enforce the rules. Well, that that's good. That's good to know if you're a nationwide company for sure. So now how, how, when you became an advocate, do you, do you use your CPA skills and your enrolled agent skills? And are you still doing taxes or have you transitioned completely into being an advocate for so those? We, we transitioned completely into um, representation um, or, you know, helping people in crisis when the IRS says they owe money. You know, that's essentially all we do now. We do some tax returns if it goes along with, uh, you know, trying to figure out how much they owe. Uh, we had a person come in the other day that hadn't filed since 2010. So we, we will help them file taxes as needed uh, and then get them going on their way and seeing if they can pay or uh, seeing what type of help or tactic we need to use in order to uh, help them pay the least amount possible. So walk me through a typical um, situation where a potential client calls you and says, you know, Ben, gosh, I'm getting all these threatening letters. How, do, how does that work? Is that how it works? And then what, it, what happens there? It normally does. We have, it, it usually comes in one of three ways. Number one, a person wants to be proactive and let's say they start making a little bit more money and they, or they want to buy a home or they haven't filed uh, their taxes in a long time and they can't get credit. So they'll want to be proactive and say, okay, I have to file my taxes and get this straightened out. Or uh, number two, they get a letter in the mail saying, uh, hey, you owe extra money for a year and they don't understand why. Or number three, they already know that they owe the money and the IRS is becoming more and more aggressive with them, trying to collect from them. Those are usually the three scenarios where people's call, people call us up and say, hey, we need a little help. That makes sense because, you know, and so when they do call you in the scenario of either, you know, the IRS is getting more aggressive. Most of our listeners, I think, do file their taxes, I'm assuming. And so if they are, if the IRS is getting aggressive with them, what what are your, you know, walk us through that scenario of, of what that looks like. Um, they're getting these letters and they bring them to you and say, hey, Ben, help. Well, you know, you would think that most people file their taxes. Uh, however, statistics say one in 50 owe more than $15,000 to the IRS, number one. Um, I uh, speak regularly um, and teach tax resolution. And I was talking to a group of roughly about 150 very wealthy individuals. 
And statistics say that three of those people in the crowd would owe more than ten dollars to $15,000, right? Well, included in this crowd were almost all of them were multimillionaires that held a lot of rental property and all that kind of stuff. And I knew that uh, I probably didn't have those statistics in that crowd. When I went back and did individual consultations for the crowd, I had three of the 150 people that had not filed in four to six to 10 years. And I was just, I was just surprised that those statistics added up now. And, and so explain now, to me why weren't they paying if they had, if they had the funds just out of principle? So no, no. One, one gentleman said that he, he did, he went to do his taxes and he owed quite a bit of money. Let's call it $10,000 for one year. And he didn't have the money. So he chose not to pay. He chose not to file because he said he didn't have the money. I didn't know what to do, so I didn't file. The next year he went, he owed another you know, bit of money. And the third year in a row, he went to file his taxes and he owed some more money. So now he's got three years in a row where he didn't file, he didn't pay, and that it just starts to snowball. You know, more times than not, what happens is it's great people that have a terrible thing that happened to them a divorce, uh, uh, someone passes away or something like that, that the outside influence stops them from being able to move forward. So it's great people that terrible things happen to. Now, I was going to say a moment ago that statistically, because of COVID, um, instead of it being one in 50 people, we think that roughly one in 30 people are going to owe more money because they lost their jobs. They didn't have the money coming in. A lot of them were on uh, unemployment and they didn't get anything withheld. So the statistics are going to get worse as we go along because the economy has been the way that it has been the last couple of years. So, you know, uh, the IRS is going to get more aggressive here in the future and people need to be ready um, to make sure they take care of their business. Because I think uh, with some of the new legislation coming in, and I know that I'm sort of pinballing in a lot of different places right now, but some of the legislation that's coming in, uh, we know that the IRS is hiring roughly 87,000 more employees. And, you know, I'm happy to go over the statistics um, about the employees and how many they have now versus how many they're going to hire. But, you know, since 2000, the IRS has been losing budget and losing employees in a very high number. And it won't be very long that, um, you know, the IRS is going to have to completely replace itself. Right. And, you know, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you'll have to say about that right after the break. So we'll be right back. Why is Connor having trouble focusing in school? Having trouble finding Connor's middle school? Would you like directions? No, why is Connor having trouble focusing in school? Finding lowest airfare to Istanbul. No, I'm, I'm tired of fighting with him over homework. Home walk restaurant, need a review? No, I need help. He's very smart, but his mind wanders. He's disorganized. I think I understand. Oh, good. Finding best potatoes for French fries. No! Russet, fingerling, Yukon oh, gold. Why don't you understand me? 
Sorry, I was trying to show how Connor feels every day. Frustrating, isn't it? Redirecting to understood.org. For the one in five kids with learning and attention issues, this is what life can feel like. Explore understood.org, a free online resource about learning and attention issues designed to help your child thrive in school and in life. Understood.org, because understanding is everything. Brought to you by understood.org and the Ad Council. Are you ready to start and run your own successful business? Ready to grow your small business or home business? Women's Economic Ventures is a local nonprofit helping women start and build successful businesses. In addition to their highly successful self-employment training program, Weave offers services to help women succeed at every stage of their business, from startup and launch to building and sustaining a business, including individual business counseling, professional networking events, advanced business training, and small business loans to start or expand a business. Over 1,000 local businesses are now owned and operated by women who have taken part in programs and services. Whether you're ready to start up, launch, build, or sustain your business, Women's Economic Ventures is right here to help you make it happen. Call 965-6073 or visit weaveonline.org. Welcome back to Money Talk. And if you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of having Ben Golden with us today. So Ben, before the break, we were talking about, you know, um, your your work as an advocate with the IRS. And so, you know, I wanted to get your take on what you think the potential new tax laws are going to do and how they're going to affect people. I know before the break, you said statistically, you think more and more people are going to find themselves in, you know, IRS trouble for, you know, various reasons, whether it be the, you know, taxation of of unemployment benefits that they didn't um, intend on or other reasons related to this pandemic. So with the new tax laws, which they're, you know, what's being proposed is quite significant. How do you see that affecting us all? Yeah, well, it's a great question. The infrastructure bill had several different tax regulations included in it. And what we've seen recently is more and more tax regulations included on larger bills as they go through. Um, recently, the IRS has been given a larger budget and they're going to hire an additional 87,000 employees. So that sounds like an unbelievably huge number. So, you know, in 2000, and, in 2000 they had 115,000 employees and now they have 74,000 employees. Now, the 87,000 that they're going to hire, they think that 40,000 will retire in the next five to six years. So they're only going to add an additional probably 40,000 employees or so in total from that higher of 87,000. Now, what does that mean? So most of these jobs are going to be in lower areas. They're not really going to be uh, hired for, you know, uh, collections or audits. Most of them are going to be hired for other jobs, for example, um, in service centers and things of that nature. So, you know, still calling the IRS, only 24% of the calls are answered by the IRS. Uh, the, the IRS still has um, almost 10 million pieces of mail it hasn't opened from last year. There's still millions upon millions of tax returns that have not been um, processed for 2020 yet. Uh, and it's caused 
great problems for us as individuals just to get through, to ask questions, to ask questions about our refunds, to ask questions about the stimulus packages, all these questions that people have and nobody can get through. So, you know, the IRS is trying to do more with less like they have been for the past you know, 20 years. Uh, so unfortunately, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. So far as the IRS being able to handle the calls and handle, you know, the questions and, and things of that nature. A lot of people don't understand when you call into the IRS, uh, you could be on hold for an hour or two. When I call into the IRS, if you're on hold for more than 45 minutes, you're something you're subject to something called a courtesy disconnect. What, do you know what a courtesy disconnect is? I do not. It's it's their courtesy to disconnect you. So, <laughs> so, well, so I've experienced that courtesy disconnect before. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all have. But it gets worse and worse as a practitioner to, to try to advocate and help a client because we can't get in to the IRS either. So uh, it becomes frustrating for not only the taxpayers, but also the practitioners and you know, um, like I said, it's it takes about three to five years to hire and train a new employee in the audit field. Uh, it takes probably two to three years to hire someone in the collection field. Um, while they are going to be hiring people in those fields, uh, it takes a long time to get those person, those people up and ready uh, and replace the people that are leaving. So you know, the IRS has a, have a tough road to hoe here pretty soon. And it's, it's like I said, it's going to get worse, in my opinion, before it gets better. So now what, what my understanding is, is with IRS audits is they kind of take a targeted approach where everybody with S-Corps, you know, S-Corps and another thing will get audited this year. And they, they go through that. Is that what you typically see? And if so, do you know ahead of time what their, what their target's going to be in this coming year? That's a great question as well. You know, a lot of people say that uh, you got to be careful on your deductions because you don't want to get red flagged by the IRS. Have you ever heard that before? Yes, I have. So No one likes red flag, that's for sure. That's right. And so a red flag is something that is outside the norm of what a normal tax return looks like. So it gets flagged because you know it's outside the, the normal lines, right? So those are always going to be looked at. S corporations are definitely something that the IRS is going to look at um, more readily. However, what you don't know is uh, the percentage of audit for an S corporation is about 0.25% in audit, which is a quarter of a 1% which is unbelievably low. Low, right. Individuals are audited roughly at about 7%. Now, that includes the automated audits where, you know, uh, the IRS matches, let's say, a W-2 with your tax return. If those two things don't match, you get a letter in the mail. That's considered an audit, in my opinion. So they're about 7%. And believe it or not, the highest... Um, percentage of people that get audited in the United States are the lowest income earners. Oh, interesting. So why do you think those people, why, why would the IRS waste their time auditing that? Because they get refundable credits. They're the only people or, or type of uh, um, 
people that get a refundable credit, which means you get more money back than what you paid in. So the IRS thinks that there's a high fraud rate in that area. So they have a higher percentage of audit in that area. So a lot of the times the IRS wants to confirm that, you know, that the people on their tax return are their dependents, that uh, they actually uh, did care for them and things of that nature. So it's... So in other words, if you that's is that the reason why most CPAs like people to be a little closer to even than getting a big refund with their withholdings on their W-2s? No, I think that's just, um, you know, uh, good financial sense, in my opinion. You know, and why, why would you want the United States government to hold your money all year long without any type of uh, um, interest or anything like that or, or no way to earn money on, on them holding your money uh, um, or refund? So I. I personally think that getting a very small refund or you owing just a touch at the end of the day is a great thing. And and evidently, if you don't get a big refund, that's also lessens your chance of an audit, <laughs> right? I, I think it does. I think it does. But it, it you really look at more what's in the tax return than opposed to just you receiving some money back or just you having to pay some money. You know, they, they look at more of what's inside the return than just the last line. Which makes sense, right? And so on the higher income earners, where are you seeing those people being um, targeted for audits more often than not? So crypto is one of the things that the IRS is going after very strongly. And in part of the infrastructure bill, um, the Congress decided that there's going to be more regulation with crypto. So um, anyone with crypto, number one, you have to report that you own it. Uh, if there are any types of sales or purchases of crypto during the year, you need to report that. Um, but anyone with crypto is another place where the IRS is going to come after. And then so far as the wealthier taxpayers, I think anyone with capital gains are also going to be a target for the IRS um, here pretty soon as well. That's one of the places where um, the administration and Congress has wanted to increase taxes as of late. Great. Well, you've been listening to Money Talk on KZSB, and we'll be right back. One in three adults in America have prediabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move's called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. <clears throat> Here's 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living Ben has my mom. In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, Exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Betty can't say that in reverse. Since 1994, Food from the Heart has been preparing and delivering healthy, nutritious food once a week to those in our community who are dealing with major health issues. With more information, here's Eric Onan. 
Food from the Heart is a local nonprofit that uh, provides nutritious healing foods to individuals who are in health crisis. They do this on a weekly basis. It's done at no cost to the clients. They are totally funded by charitable contributions. In the delivering process, they spend time with the people when they're delivering. Some of these folks are shut in and don't have a lot of opportunity for interaction with others. Food from the Heart is a wonderful local nonprofit. To learn more about Food from the Heart, to make a donation, or to sign up to volunteer, go to sbfoodfromtheheart.com. That's sbfoodfromtheheart.com. Or call 805-334-5292. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting edge technology, mobile deposits, and free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service only other banks can only dream about. So Ben, before the break, you were talking about how you think Congress is going to raise the capital gains rate. Now, I can't imagine that being hugely popular as many individuals in the country do um, have capital gains. As we talked about on the break, you know, if you sell one house, you, you have you have capital gains um, oftentimes above that two hundred and fifty thousand per per person limit. So tell us tell me what you think, how you think they're going to go ahead and raise those rates. Yeah, I think that they're going to place a cap on how much money you you make and start phasing the capital gains rates to go higher once you make more money. So for example, it could be 250 or 350 or 400. There's a lot of talk uh, of it being 400,000. If you make more than $400,000 in a year, then your capital gain rate will go up in order to uh, get you closer to your ordinary rate. So, you know, it could be a one-off sale that you have, or if you have multiple sales uh, in one year, I would encourage you to talk to your CPA, to talk to you're the person who's helping you with your tax return in order to you know, get some tax planning done. You don't want to have four or five sales in one year, you know, those kind of things. That way you're not surprised when uh, April 15th comes around and, oh my goodness, now you have a huge tax bill. Now I need to call Ben. What am I going to do? Right. And you know, it's not only properties. When you look at what the stock market's done over the last two years, many people have lots of embedded gains in their account. And to increase that capital gain rate, I think Congress will get a bunch of pushback. Now, that said, in the early 2000s, the capital gain rate was much more than it is today. Yeah, that's exactly true. You know, um, one of the things that President Bush did when he came in was he changed the capital gains rates and lowered them tremendously, um, unlike anything that we had seen before. Um, and I think it's just part of the administration. There's always an up and a down or a peak and a valley or, you know, uh, one type of party prefers uh, more taxes. One prefers maybe less taxes or to attempt to push the economy. So, you know, I think it's a, there's an ebb and flow there. Um, but remember, it's not the administration, it's Congress. If you have a problem with your tax rates or you think that your tax rates are going to go up, You need to write your congressman. You need to write your senator. You need to let them know how you feel about your taxes and, and, uh, you know, what is comfortable for you to pay taxes. So let's get back to to Ben, you as an advocate with the IRS. And, you know, I I, want to point out against the IRS. Against. (laughs) 
advocate for me, I guess. (laughs) I want to point out that you did get your master's in taxation from Golden Gate University. So you did spend some time in California, which is great. We can hear your Southern twang from Alabama. Um, So if somebody is getting threatening letters from the IRS, what should they do? The number one thing you do not want to do is attempt to hide. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I got a letter from the IRS. I'm just not going to respond and they'll go away. No, they are the number one world's most ruthless predator. Okay, they have the ultimate power to seize property. They have the ultimate power to lien property. They have the ultimate power to to zero out your bank account, to take and garnish your wage or garnish your social security. The last thing you want to do is not connect with them and contact them and say, hey, listen, this is what's going on in my life. Now, a lot of people don't want to talk to the IRS or they don't want to wait the the hour and a half or or whatever, or get a courtesy disconnect like we were talking about earlier. Um, So they call us and, and we help them with that. And so, you know, when, what do you see the IRS, you know, what do they usually do? Like, what are the steps? They obviously don't go from writing you a letter to seizing your home, but what are the steps in between and how long does the process usually take? So when you get the first letter after you filed your taxes, and let's say that you owe some money after you file your taxes, they're going to send you a notice and say, okay, uh, this is additional penalties and interest that you're going to owe as well. And then they'll send you a, a notice and they'll say, hey, there's an intent for us to levy your lien. And they have to give you notice of the intent because you can um, uh, ask for a hearing to get that lien off of your record before it's even on your record. Once they, s- they get to that levy the lien, don't they just send you a letter? And doesn't that go on for a period of time before they get to the point where they're going to be seizing your property? Yeah, there's a series of letters that they send you and they send you these letters, uh, usually in 30 to 45 day increments. And, you know, it gets serious when they send you certified mail. Now, now, why is that important? Because now you don't have to. A lot of people say, oh, if I don't go sign for it, it's OK. No, no, no when they send it to you, that is formal notice that you've been uh, notified or you've been made aware that there's a problem. Now, since you got that certified mail, the IRS can take additional steps. And honestly, if you still continue to not respond, they're going to get more aggressive um, every single day. And so at what point in the process should somebody hire you for your services to advocate on their behalf? When you get the certified letter in the mail that essentially says, hey, listen, we're going to lean your home. We're going to levy, garnish your wages. That's when I need to get involved. The reason is because you still do have appeals rights. Um, And if you don't respond, your appeals rights vanish. So it's important to talk to a professional and, you know, Uh, not all professionals are equal in this standing. So, you know, you want to deal with someone that has worked with tax controversy before, much like we do. You want to work with someone that is licensed. Uh, You want to work with someone that you know, like, and trust. Go and do your due diligence. Make sure that, you know, they are a good company, that they do have uh, a lot of reviews and, and things of that nature. Because, Believe it or not, there are some companies out there that will just take your money and and run and won't help you. 
So Ben, why wouldn't somebody just call their own CPA if they have one to deal with it? It's a great question. So uh, I, I sort of put it to you like this right here. Um, a CPA is a generalist. They are taught in school to know how to audit financial returns, to uh, give an opinion on financials, to look at, at financials, to do tax returns, things of that nature, not specifically in tax resolution. So I look at them as more of a general generalist, where I look at myself as more uh, of a, a cardiac surgeon. You know, I focus on one type of, or a cardiac surgeon will focus on one type of organ. Their entire life is the study of that one organ. So they get very knowledgeable and they get a lot of experience and they can diagnose something very quickly. Whereas a general surgeon, they don't know as much about that one part. So a generalist is not going to know the flags or the problems or even the, the solutions uh, as easily as that cardiac surgeon will. And so where are you located, Ben? Where, where do you have offices? So we have three offices, one in Chicago, Seattle, and here in Alabama, and we're headquartered in Alabama. We, we moved uh, from Seattle to Alabama a, a little over a year ago, um, and we have um, employees in seven different states. You know, a lot of people went to the uh, remote employee uh, base. Well, we knew being from Alabama, we didn't have a lot of uh, practitioners here uh, that lived in this area. So we decided early on that we would have practitioners nationwide. And so about how many employees do you have? We have 20 employees uh, and CPAs, enrolled agents and attorneys. And uh, all of our practitioners also have uh, an assistant, so like a paralegal, to help them with their cases. That's great. Well, you've been listening to Money Talk 1290, and we'll be right back. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the kellymarshteam.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. 
Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So Ben, tell us a little bit about, you know, I've got to imagine that you get calls from people that get those IRS scams that they call you and threaten you and say there's a warrant out for your arrest. What do you advise people to do um, when dealing with that? Yeah, definitely. As of right now, the IRS really, they won't call you unless you owe a lot of money. Um, So, you know, if the IRS, if if someone ever calls you and says, you have to pay the IRS on a a Target gift card or a a Walmart gift card or a Visa gift card, uh, you know, if they want you to pay right then, the answer is no. You can always go to irs.gov. They're, they have some incredible resources now that they've come out with in the past couple of years. You can go in and look at your transcripts. You can pay on irs.gov. Definitely, absolutely do not give any money. Do not give anyone your social security number uh, on the telephone. Do not try to uh, talk about your tax problems if they think that you have some on the, ta- on the phone. Uh, you know, the IRS legally must contact you by mail first. And, uh, you know, so if you haven't received any of the notices and they send you, they call you, uh, you you know, as well as I do, that it's going to be a scam. Absolutely. And so if, if, if somebody does hear from the IRS on the phone, it would only be after several letters have been sent to their address. That's exactly right. Um, you know, and like I said, the IRS really won't contact you until after that certified notice comes to you as well. And the IRS is going to send the letters to the address on the last tax return that you filed. Uh, That's the last known address, unless you've legally changed your address with the IRS. Now, are you seeing any of the stimulus money? Is any of it but the unemployment or enhanced unemployment benefits going to be taxable? So I don't think so. Um, The Congress has done a very good job at at ensuring that any advance payment or any payment for stimulus that you've received is not going to be taxable back to you. Matter of fact, it's in it's in the code when they wrote it in that it's not going to be taxable. So I would not expect that. They are doing some advanced payments right now on child tax credits and things of that nature. Those are advances for refunds in the future. However, um, Congress has really made it a point that they're not going to tax stimulus. That's great. So now, Ben, if somebody's out there listening to you and saying, gosh, you know, I could really use some help with my IRS issues because, you know, when I tried to call them, now they're auditing five things instead of just the original two that were in the letter. Um, How should they um, contact you and what's the best way and how do they get assigned somebody in your office? Yeah, of course. So they can go to IRS 
troublesolvers.com. And, you know, one of the things that we'll do is if, if they go to the website, we'll give them a, uh, a little book that's seven um, items that the IRS doesn't want you to know about, seven things, seven secrets that the IRS doesn't want you to know about. We'll do that for your listeners. Uh, you could call us at 877-4-IRS-LAW. That's 877-4-IRS-LAW. You can get us there or the website. Perfect. And then in your internal dealings, I'm assuming you don't take on every client that comes in. How do you divvy them up by geographical location? No, we uh, we look at them to see if they're suited to be uh, qualified as a client of ours first. And, you know, not everyone that comes in is going to be a client. Matter of fact, we do turn people away quite a bit. We want to make sure that they are serious uh, that they want to deal with their IRS problem. You know, there's a lot of people that are, are quote unquote, looky lose or wanting to get price quoting and things like that. That's fine. However, we want you to be serious in dealing with the IRS because that's who uh, we believe that uh, we can get the best solution for is people that want to deal with uh, their problem. And so how do you get compensated for your work? So, we ask that uh, they pay us a retainer or a deposit, and then we have flat fee pricing. We do not charge you by the hour like most law firms do. We will tell you this is the amount of money that we charge for this service, and this is what we're going to do with you. Everyone we do an investigation for, make sure that you're compliant or filed your taxes, and then we do a customized roadmap to success for your circumstances strictly and only that way we can take care of what you need only. Well, Ben, thank you so much for being our guest. And anyone listening, if you um, would like to reach out to Ben, it's www.irstroublesolvers.com. And have a happy holiday. And thanks again. You're listening to Money Talk. Yeah.